0: Tuesday, October 28th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser. and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. No, this is not a repeat We're of Monday's back. episode. <laughs> uh, vu. You're back because uh, the topics for today are right up your respective alleys. We're going to get to the respective third quarters of Twitter and Buffalo Wild Wings, and we will talk about oil and whether or not it is, in fact, time to start looking at oil stocks. Let's start with Twitter, though, their third quarter. I guess the good news, Jason, is that revenue more than doubled from a year ago. That's good. That That might be where the good news ends. Uh, The stock is down uh, more than 12% this morning. They're not growing their users. They're growing their users. They're just not growing them to the degree that they were, say, last quarter.
1: Yeah, and I think that's probably the concern. I mean, I am looking at it right now. It seems like it maybe is. uh, I don't know if it's tracking back a little bit. It seems like it's down about ten percent now. So who knows? But yeah, I mean, it's when you look at the quarter, it's it's. We were talking about this earlier. If you looked at the call, if you look through the call and the release. Without even looking at the stock or the stock price and seeing how the market was was behaving today i I think most people would look at that and say, "Oh yeah, i mean it was it was a decent quarter i mean if you if you look at the growth in users yes i mean that that is a trend that's decelerating i mean as it gets bigger, the growth in adding more users obviously slows down, and uh you know i mean there there's gonna be the question to uh how how big its actual uh market opportunity is because it is a bit more of sort of a specialty sort of uh play versus something like a Facebook that's very much more universal I'd say um but but yeah I mean when you I mean you look at Twitter and think about kind of what it's done and where it's going and I think the diff- it's the same company today as it was yesterday before it announced earnings I think the difference is primarily there is there's a lot more uncertainty in regard to Twitter than there is with something like a Facebook and and the market doesn't pay up a lot for uncertainty uh, it, Not it's now. More of a yeah. It's, they're kind of pulling a Missouri and saying, "Hey, show me right." That's yeah. right. Um, so I mean, it's it's it's. I think that has a lot to do with it. I mean, we've always been very clear with Twitter. I mean, it, price matters with a with any stock. I mean, Twitter has has seen some high highs and some low lows, and and you know today I think is probably a bit of a short sighted reaction from the market. I think if you sit back and ask yourself the question, is this a business that's going to be relevant in five years? for you know, five years from today, is, is Twitter still gonna be around? Is it still gonna be relevant? I I would say yes. I mean that's how I've placed my bet accordingly. I own shares in Twitter. I'm going to keep my shares in Twitter. I think there is a bright future ahead for this company. The, you know, the, they management stated on the call. I mean, they are not just asleep at the wheel. I mean, they do have a strategy here, uh, and, and the three priorities, the points of focus for them are to strengthen their core user, to reduce barriers to consumption, and then continue building out new apps and services. And that that I think is what will play into the fabric. Uh, developer uh, developers tool that they've been working on and i think the key for uh, for for twitter is really to figure out how to uh you know tap into that market that is the user that sees tweets maybe but isn't necessarily logging into the platform um you know there there are ways to go about that i think they could probably leverage their lists feature a little bit better uh you know when you bring the new user into twitter as opposed to Making them kind of go around and figure out who to follow and why to follow them, you know, throw a list or two in there for them that that might interest them, and and that could really sort of ease that entry uh, in, into the into the service. But, I mean, I'm I'm, you know, for the for the whole, on the whole, I'm encouraged by the quarter.
0: But were there unrealistic uh, unrealistic expectations about this quarter? Because Taylor, I just think back to last quarter, where they surprised everyone mm-hmm. by reporting a profit for the quarter. Oh, by the way, the World Cup was involved in the last quarter. Like, did anyone really think this quarter was going to match the surprise of last? I mean, I'm assuming some did. Otherwise, we wouldn't be seeing the stock selling off like this.
2: But yeah, I would just wonder why analysts aren't giving us their real expectations because their expectations were met, but obviously their expectations behind the curtain were a little bit higher. Um, the, the company's sold off a little bit too much, in my mind you know, when did top lines stop becoming such an important issue? I mean, they doubled revenue. That's pretty good for a company that's only been public for a little while now. Uh, so, yeah, the user base isn't growing that, that rapidly. I mean, it still is growing rapidly. But I think that, you know, the fact that they base their a lot of their metrics on timeline views is a little bit squirrely to me because people can just sit there and just refresh, 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 refresh. And that counts as a timeline view every single time they do that. So I don't know if it's... Um, they can maybe switch to just people opening the app as one of their metrics or something like that. Um, but I think that they're kind of setting themselves up for a little bit of failure um, because you can refresh that app every 10 seconds and only see one new tweet at a time. So you're not really exposing yourselves to new ads by doing that. Um, that being said, timeline views were down a little bit. So maybe people are kind of pulling back from that a little bit. Um As a human being, though, I hope this company really survives. I look at it as kind of like a neighborhood watch for society, because people can voice their opinions. You talk about the Wisconsin governor elections a couple years ago. People were outraged on Twitter. Uh, The Iran uh, elections a few years ago in 2009. Uh, Now Saudi Arabia is trying to ban Twitter because people are actually speaking out about their feelings. Um, And Saudi Arabia, surprisingly enough to me, I found out today, that uh, has more users per per capita than the U.S. or China. Um, so, if you can get these countries that are s- trying to ban Twitter, f- just to pull back a little bit, their international user base has a lot of room to grow. And I, I think that that's going to be a catalyst for this company um, and it just benefits society as a whole, companies and governments being held more accountable over the long term.
0: But part of the problem for Twitter, or part of the challenge, I should say, is that while the international base is larger the amount of revenue they get from the U.S. base. Is larger, so yes, they can grow the international base. They got to figure out a way to monetize it to the degree that they're monetizing things in the U.S. Yeah, the
2: companies that are advertising are predominantly based in the U.S., targeted at us. So, um, until they can get the you're right, until they can get those companies to focus more internationally on ad revenue or ad spending, that's that's the big challenge. But, um, I, I remember a quote I read a while back making advertisers happy is the primary way Twitter makes money. Yes, that's true. But if they don't make the users happy first, the advertisers aren't going to have any reason to spend any money on their site or on their on their app. So, I think that Twitter has the right idea to kind of cater more towards the users first. Maybe they just went public too soon. Maybe that, that might be my opinion, I guess. That is the balancing act that yeah. they
0: face, Facebook faces, probably anyone in yeah. social media. Uh, let's close out on the stock, Jason. When you look at it now, trading below where it closed on its first day when it went public, early November of 2013. Is this a buying opportunity? I I think that if, sorry to cut you off, but yes, it's below where it closed on opening day. It's still not at its lowest point. No, its lowest no. point is twenty nine.
1: Yeah, and I mean I remember that uh, that low point very well because that's when I really <laughs> was enticed and actually started uh, buying up a few shares. I, I felt like you know at that thirty thirty two dollar level it was a bit of an overreaction. Um, you know when, when I when I look at at Twitter today and I see what it's doing the value in its communication platform and the potential it has uh, to reach really a global audience again I mean I think if you, you ask yourself the question first and foremost if you think it's going to be a relevant business in five years um, and, and if you believe that's the case then you know the, the the you have to have some faith in the management team that's there they seem to have identified some key points to address now it's a matter of execution and I think that when you see the stock selling off like it is today, if you're looking to to open a position in Twitter, I think today is as good a time as any to open a position. This, to be clear, is a stock that I think you would want to buy in stages, sometimes we call it buying in thirds, where you, you buy an in initial position to open that position. It doesn't have to be a big purchase, but it gets you some skin in the game, and you, and you start paying attention and following the business, and then you can add to that position opportunistically as time goes on. Sometimes you just get stuck adding to winners, and that's fine, too. Um, But yeah, i mean, I I still very much a believer in in the long-term potential of the company, and uh, I'm going to continue to hold my shares, and I would recommend those out there who own them do
0: the same. There are worse things in the investing world than adding to your winners. There are. You can follow us on Twitter, at MarketFoolery is our handle. um, David Mead weighing in on a very important topic. He writes on Twitter, overrated candy, Milky Way, underrated? peanut M&M's, deep value Whoppers. First of all, I love that he included the deep value. I think that's spot on, too. I think Whoppers are one of those candy We talked yesterday about King. I I personally like Whoppers, but it strikes me as a candy that there are people People who don't like Whoppers really don't like Whoppers. Yeah, it's one of
2: those movie theater candies. You really don't see it anywhere else, but when you do, I mean, it's like Chocolatey, malty goodness. Talk
0: about taking a party line, right? Exactly. Uh, radio at fool. is our email address. Uh, email from Jake Miller in Pennsylvania. Hershey Kisses are way overvalued. I mean, come on, it's only chocolate in a funny shape, and Reese's <laughs> Pieces are way overvalued. They're overvalued? Are undervalued? Excuse oh, me. They're getting good. over. They're getting overlooked for candies like M and Ms. Uh, Jake also identifies himself as listener number 60 million, which, as he points out, is the number of Hershey Kisses that are made each day. Uh, but he did include a question, uh, which he says has been bugging him for a couple of days now. Is this the time to buy oil? Companies like Seadrill and Transocean are down 30 and 40% right now because of oil prices being down, and they're trading at very low P.E. ratios. Are these attractive numbers for stocks like these? And is it time to buy uh, and wait for the flooding of oil in the markets to settle out uh, and for oil prices to rise again. There's a lot there, Taylor. There is a lot there. Um, but let's start with this first question. Is is it getting more attractive for oil-related stocks?
2: Yes, it certainly is. Uh, they've really carried a lot of the weight the first half of the year because oil prices were high, production was high. Um, but now oil's down under $80 a barrel right now in the U.S., Almost below eighty dollars internationally on the Brent. So these companies are barely making any money, if any money at all, on the on a barrel oil right now. Marginal cost is around seventy-five to eighty-five for some of the cheaper producers. Um, so this could be the floor. Who knows how long it stays? It's it's cyclical. It's demand-driven. And right now, we have a ton of supply, so it could be a low, a low point price point for a little while now. But when he brings up companies like a Sea Drill or a Transocean, you kind of have to pause for a little bit, because these are offshore oil companies. Um, they're the services companies, they do the drilling, they own the rigs. Um, and when oil is at $80 a barrel, offshore is the first thing to go, because it's one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive, way to drill for oil and produce it. Um, so I made this mistake well I didn't make a mistake i I bought Ensco a while back I've suffered through it. I'm down about thirty percent on that position um It was one of my first ever energy holdings um back when I started learning more about the sector a few years ago um and I realized that yes, this is the the extremity of the oil market, so that's why these companies have sold off so much more because companies aren't gonna be producing offshore at eighty dollars a barrel. They're gonna to return to the land drilling. They're gonna to return to the conventional side of things. So um even if oil prices do start to creep back up, it's gonna take a little bit longer for a Transocean or a sea drill to catch back up to the market. Halliburton um is has been down about twenty percent off of its highs recently because it is onshore mainly focused, but it is supposed to fracking, which is also more expensive. So um you kind of have to maybe stick to the core right now of, of energy stocks that aren't exposed to these higher price points as far as production is concerned. So especially when if you want to look at those companies, you have to look at the safer bets. Those two are pretty far fetched in my mind. seed Drill um, pretty much spends all of its cash from operations on its dividend, and then its gro- or or its growth, and then whichever one isn't funded by its cash from ops is funded by debt. Um, it's got a ca- current ratio under one, which is current assets over current liabilities. So, you know, in the near term, it could be pinched and the dividend could be cut. And that's one reason why so many investors bought into this company is because the dividend was the highest in the group. Right now, it's like 17% because the stock has sold off so so much. But traditionally, it's in that 9 to 11% range. Uh, with TransOcean, the fleet is one of the oldest in the business, which is something you definitely don't want to see, um, especially after the transocean or the, the the disaster they were a part of in Macondo. Right. So, all these companies are trying to reformat their fleets, get these dual blowout preventers. Um, you look at an ENSCO or a C-Drill, or a Noble having the youngest fleets in the industry. ENSCO um, is also a high dividend payer, uh, but it's on the safer side as far as their debt is concerned. So, those are just some things that you want to watch out for these oil players because, you know, they're probably producing oil at a hundred dollars a barrel offshore, and so if it's at eighty, they're not going to be producing it.
0: It sounds like you're expecting them to cut their dividends.
2: Sea drill, I've been waiting for it for a while now. Um, it's at seventeen percent yield right now, and like I said, they're paying all their cash flow operations out to their dividend, save fifty million dollars, and trying to grow. So. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit nervous on Sea Drill. Maybe not so much on Transocean because they fought back against Carl Icahn, who wanted a higher dividend out of this company. But investors and shareholders in that company wisely voted it down. They still instituted a dividend, but only about half of what Carl Icahn was looking for. So they could be in a, in, in a bit of rough water had they listened to him right now. Um, so. If oil stays $80 a barrel or under $90 a barrel for the rest of the year or even longer, yeah, I don't see how C-Drill maintains that dividend going forward. God, Carl
0: Icahn is like Omar <laughs> Little from The Wire. It's just like if
1: you're an investor, it's like, Carl Icahn's coming. Yeah, Everybody
0: right. watch out. Here,
2: Carl Icahn's
1: coming. You know, I read the other day, I'd say save any, any kind of geopolitical... Uh, disaster. I mean, I read the other day where uh, oil production, domestic oil production, is is up about seventy percent in the last six years mm-hmm. alone, which yep. has contributed obviously to prices coming down because we're now actually exporting oil, uh, which I know a lot of people still find to be fascinating. Uh, so yeah, I, I can't help but wonder if maybe we aren't, you know, set up for sort of a period of of. Uh, lower oil prices to come.
2: Yeah, I I don't imagine it would be like a multi-year stretch, but I could imagine it going out till next summer or something like that, Um, just because our producers aren't going to want to pull back and and take a, a hit on the revenue side. Saudi Arabia is actually fighting back saying they don't want to lose market shares and they can withstand some low prices for a little while unlike their peers like Venezuela and and you know Iraq and Iran they need these high oil prices so they're putting pressure in these OPEC meetings on Saudi Arabia to pull back cuz Saudi Arabia really has their, they they hold the the key to the city but we're catching up so i mean we we're, we're right there neck and neck with Russia as far as oil and liquid petroleum product production so we have a big say now um, even so much so that people think that there's a conspiracy where we're putting the, we're keeping the price of oil low to hurt Russia uh, much more than just on the sanction side of things. duh yeah, I, I'm a big disbeliever in that theory, <laughs> but you
1: know it's out there. Hey, so just totally separate note here back to the Reese's pieces thing. yeah so like if I say Reese's pieces, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? E.T. too hey, yeah okay, good uh, me too. I mean that was the first thing I'm like, what about you? I mean, like, what is, was you, the first one they kicked? E.T. the e. movie. Oh, I mean, e. I'm just not sure if you, maybe a little bit dated. I guess maybe, I'm not sure, but yeah. Uh, but but for people of a certain age, yeah. that is that's that's how that's Reese's be started. One of the greatest product placements of all time. <laughs> yeah. That and the Kuahara bicycle. Yeah, right. There you go. I mean, I was a BMX bike kid growing up, and I think it was the Kuahara that significant airtime that was. Uh...
0: So you know the movie Blazing Saddles. Yes. Oh yes. Okay, yes. so there's the scene at the end where. They uh, spoiler alert they break through into the modern day, and uh, Harvey Corman <laughs> escapes into a movie theater. He buys a ticket. He's about to walk in, and then he goes over to the candy counter. Do you remember what he buys? I it's Raisinets. He buys raisinettes. Okay, so he goes <laughs> That's over. Pretty
2: undervalued. He, he
0: goes over. He buys Raisinets and then he walks into the theater. <laughs> I read an interview uh, years ago with Mel Brooks. That was just like Mel Brooks threw that in there. Sales of raisinettes went up 800% (laughs) over the next year. And the company just sends boxes to Mel Brooks every year just as a thank you for that little plug that he just threw in that they did not pay for. Uh, Let's end with a company doing a little bit better, and that's (laughs) Buffalo Wild Wings. Uh, Third quarter numbers, holy cow, same store sales up 6%. Uh, close to 100 new locations the stock up about 13% this morning did anything go wrong for buffalo wild wings was there any was there any rain to counteract <laughs> all of the
1: sunshine and rainbows in this quarter you know i i mean i looked for it and i sure didn't find it i mean i i made the point earlier yesterday on twitter that it seemed like the market's expectations going into the to the release uh were a bit modest. I mean the market was expecting eighteen percent uh sales growth and twelve and a half percent earnings per share growth and and Buffalo Wild Wings uh just flew right past that on on both counts. Um so yeah, I mean they, they see obviously this time of year with fantasy football with the NFL starting, they they of course see a good bump in traffic. Uh, there are a couple of, of majority investment interests that they have in uh, Pizza Rev. And another one that's a funny name called Rusty Taco. But I guess that's a little bit of a smaller concept out west. But That's the name? The name of the joint is yeah. Rusty Taco. I, and I, I don't it's a head want, scratcher. I don't yeah. want to eat at a
0: place called Rusty I Taco. I
1: kind of I am there with you. I mean, I just don't really know that the name kind of. Kind of puts me back a little bit, but but they see something in it. It's kind of street tacos. Uh, that's the concept. But um, you know, it's it's all in that that bigger goal of reaching that three thousand restaurant. Here's
0: portfolio. the thing. Change the name to Rusty's Street Tacos.
1: The difference an apostrophe and <laughs> an S can make. Yep, I think that's that's actually. I want to go to Rusty's Street Probably Tacos. Ought to take that under advisement. Only if it's sold on
2: the street. Right. I don't know how you can have a street style taco place if it's sold out of a store.
1: Uh I digress. I mean yeah, Buffalo Wild Wings itself, the, that concept is not quite eleven hundred stores yet and they have a market opportunity to see about seventeen hundred, so still room to grow there. Um they are investing in those other concepts to try to build out this bigger restaurant portfolio which is is uh playing out as well. I think the the biggest point to note for them is forward-looking, and it's in regard to the cost of chicken wings. Uh, Chicken wing prices are about 30% higher than what they were seeing in, in the third quarter. Um, average price range, and and this plays into why they they changed that strategy, that pricing strategy a little while back, and in, in selling you your wings by the size as opposed to by the quantity. So they've been able to really help smooth out the volatility of chicken wing prices. Uh, but consequently, what they're going to do is, due to the the increased food costs, they're seeing some increased uh, operating expenses, higher wages, um, you know, so, some additional uh, positions to fill there. As they as they build out their in store experience, so they're going to raise prices about three percent by the end of November. Um, now, what they've they've proven to this point to be very adept at raising prices strategically, communicating it well with their with their customers. They've built up a pretty good loyal you know customer fan base too because of just that that in store experience. I suspect they will they will pull this off nicely. That's going to be the thing to keep an eye on here over the coming quarters is looking looking at that price increase, seeing how that's playing out on comp store traffic and and just overall sales growth. But but they, they foresee uh, you know earnings of net income of, of growth of twenty eight percent or better this coming quarter as well. I mean they just continue to operate uh, just, just, just in tremendous fashion and and you know, I, I we attribute that to Sally Smith and her her, uh, her her vision and as long as she's still there I think uh, you know, investors have to feel really really good about where this company's headed. Yeah, I,
0: Sally Smith is one of those CEOs that I look at the job she's done, the amazing track record. That that company has had, that the stock has had, the fact that they're based in Minnesota, I just look at Sally Smith and think, you know what? I could be wrong, but if if that company was based in on either coast, that she would be much more well known and much more celebrated, given oh. all the success she's had. But it's you know in some ways a sleepy Midwest company.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's some of the best stories are the ones that just fly right underneath the radar and. And it's a seemingly, you know, simple concept. You know, in wings and beer and sports, and it seems like everybody can do that. But but they've given it a, an identity, you know, and and they continue to roll out those new experimental sauces, which I think customers like. And they they have a good sort of core offering there that, that customers like, and mm-hmm. plenty of beer selections, uh, you know. So they they continue to to offer what their customers want, and that's the point.
2: One of the, the Digital menu thing kind of gets to me a little bit on a good on a good note for the company. Um, wondering, you know, if they roll out these three percent price increases, they have to do it all at once, all three percent at once, because they're not going to reprint menus every one percent. Um, but with the digital menu, you could kind of just adjust prices at at will, which is uh, a free thing for you to do. So, and you can move it at smaller increments, and customers might not even notice
1: their touchscreens though the digital menu with wing sauce <laughs> and fingers there's a problem yeah, there there's going to there? be
0: some grime stuck in I'm, them. I'm assuming they clean them just like I'm assuming they clean the regular menus yeah that they I mean like what if,
1: what if we're at the table like it's, it's the three of us and we're like I'm like okay I'm going to have this this and this and then I hand you the menu and you're like Jason you just got you just got wing sauce on the menu. You clean if it was up? the
0: three of us, I would tell you what I want. And then you would, I would, <laughs> Taylor you would do this. To, okay, I wonder yeah. if
2: the wing sauce interrupts the frequency between your finger oh, and the oh, menu. One point. of us would
0: order and the other, the other, <laughs> the other two would weigh in. <laughs> Jason Moser, Taylor Markman, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Folly. The show is mixed by Heather Horton. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.